when I was at varsity, I had a friend whose father had passed on when he was young, around 15 years old. And he was given a promise from his father that when he turned 18, he was 17 when he was at university, uh, when he turned 18, he would receive this inheritance. In the meantime, before he turned 18, he could get some of the inheritance, but he had to go to a lawyer each time. That lawyer was a custodian of the money that was left for him. He had to pro produce proof of what he needed. So, for instance, if he wanted to go to, uh, to a doctor, he had to go to the doctor first, get the, uh, the invoice from the doctor, and then go to the lawyer, and then the lawyer would pay the doctor directly, not him directly. He had to pay for university. He had to register and get the, uh, the bill from the university. Take that to the lawyer, and then the lawyer would pay. By the time came when he turned 18 years old. Within a, uh, days or weeks or so, after turning 18, all the money was sent to him. He had access to it all. He now had the freedom, and those of us who were his friends enjoyed the fruit of his freedom. He now uh, could buy the clothes he wanted. He now could uh, go out to eat. No longer, he no longer cooked at the residence, like some of us. He now enjoyed everything that his father left him. In his enjoyment of that, no longer had a relationship with the lawyer. The lawyer was gone, way, uh, you know, probably forgot about him as soon as all the papers had been signed in to say that the money now belongs to him. That's the passage we are looking at this morning. We are seeing people who do not realize this reality. Who, even though they had been given the freedom, even though Christ had come, they wanted to go back to the law, the lawyer in my illustration. They wanted to, 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 to spend the money that they had. In the illustration, they wanted to go back for advice from the lawyer. They wanted to go back for guardianship. Paul had... Uh, was confronting them directly about this. We saw last week that he was rebuking them for living as fools, not knowing that the, the, the privileges that they now have in getting eternal life, not through the law, but through Christ himself. And Paul now turns his attention to educating them about what the role of the law was. As others were saying to them, no, no, in order to have a relationship with God, you need to go back to the administrator, we need to go back to the guardian, the law. Paul said, no, 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 how foolish are you? You now have freedom in Christ. The law 
was never meant to replace the promise. That's the first thing he tells them, verses 15 to 18, that the law that was given to you was never meant to replace the promise. Look with me in verses 15 to 18. Brothers and sisters, let me make an example from everyday life, just as one can just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Paul turns here to sort of like an ancient Near East contract law. And he says that if you make an agreement with someone and you have a covenant with them, it cannot be changed. You cannot be added to it. If you, were, if you go and you sign, you cannot change the conditions after you have signed. God had made a covenant with the forefathers of the Jews, Abraham. He starts that in Genesis chapter 12. And in that uh, passage, he had promised him that he is going to bless him, his children, his seed, was going to be blessed. He is going to multiply him of all the people in, uh, in the world. He is choosing him to be a vehicle of his blessing into the world. Now Paul comes and he says, just as you and I know, in the contract law back then was different from now, you can now make supplementaries to your contract but back then you couldn't. He says, just as you and I, when we enter into a covenant and agreement with someone that I'm going to use your field and I'm going to pay you 10% of the yield, cannot go back and add to it and say, no, 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 you can't pay 10%, you need to pay 15%. God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless him and through his seed, through his offspring, he was going to multiply him. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, he had said, To your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there uh, to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is Genesis 12, 17. Abraham was looking at the piece of land and God was making these promises to him. He has no children. He is an old man. His wife had, uh, had borne him no, no children at this time. And God tells him and says, through your offspring, through your seed, through your child, I am going to give you this land. We know that um, uh, Abraham, the relationship between Abraham and God was based on this promise. We know that he moved from here, knowing that he was going to come back to it. We know that the law had not been given to the Israelites at this time. It would only be given 200 years later after they've come back from Egypt. To say that now that you, you who belong to God, this is how you ought to live. 
The promise that was given to Abraham was, was given to him on the basis of God's generosity and God's grace towards him. The law, when it came, it was never meant to replace the promise that was given to Abraham. It was meant to guide and guard those who had been given this promise. Those who were living according to the promise that God had given to them. It was not ever meant to now, you who is an Israelite, you no longer an heir of God's promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now you have to work for your salvation. That by keeping the law, God is going to fulfill his promise. That's not what God said. Of course, he said, yes, if you, keep, if you disobey the law, you're going to be kicked out of the land as a punishment. But the basis of God's relationship with his people had always been the promise he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise he had made to Abraham and, reiter and reiterated to others, Isaac and Jacob. The promise he had made to, to them is what he remembers when they are struggling in Egypt and they cry out to God in slavery and God is moved to rescue them. The promise he had made to Abraham is what moves God to bring them back from exile when their punishment had been done. The promise that he had made to Abraham was the foundation of God's relationship with his people. And Paul turns to the Israelites here and he says, God was going to bless you, was going to bless Israel through the seed. And that seed, yes, it comes through uh, his, the offspring that is Abraham has um, Isaac and Jacob and so on who follow in the line of the promise. But that line that goes from, uh, uh, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Joseph, and then Christ. Christ is a fulfillment of that promise that God had made. Christ is a realization of God's covenant to his people. That's the first thing we see there. The second thing that you see in this passage is that the law was only meant to be temporary until Christ comes. And it had a purpose, and that purpose was to show guilt and to teach the need for Christ. The law was meant to be temporary until Christ comes to show guilt and to teach us, to teach Israel, the need for for a savior. Verses 19 to 25. Verses 19 asks the question, why then was the law given at all? It was added because the transgressions 
until the seed to whom the promise had referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted through a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the Lord therefore opposed to the promise? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, the righteousness would have come through the law. As a first, there are two things that uh, Paul says here are the purpose of the law. The first thing that he says is that the law is given to show sin, to teach uh, imperfection, to teach us that on our own we are unable to lay claim of God's uh, blessings. He says there in verses 19, it was added, that is the law, because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. It was added because of sin. Abraham and his children and those who would follow after their children, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on, were still children of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who were not perfect, who were sinful. Adam and Eve who had rebelled against God. Adam and Eve who had passed on that rebellion to their kids and their children and their children. So therefore, as they come to Galatians chapter 3, that sin was still there. And the law was given to show that sinfulness still existed. It was not given so that you can have a relationship with God only through perfect obedience to the law. No. Because if that was the case, then why would Christ come? It was law was given to show that we are sinful and are in desperate need of a Savior. And interestingly, when the law is given, for instance, if you look back at, at Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll read for you. When the law was given, it is given anticipating that people will not keep it perfectly. For instance, in 30 verse 6, uh, Moses says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. Moses is looking forward there that the time will come in which God will have to do something in you to cause you to follow him, to obey him, to keep the commands that he was giving to them at that time. And God also makes a way... Uh, of dealing with sin. He says, I know that you're going to be sinful. I know that you're going to be imperfect. He's given them the law, yes. 
But it says, when you have sinned, I want you to come before me and ask for forgiveness. I want you to make a sacrifice, whether it's a bull, goat, lamb, even pigeons where, where uh, others who were poor could make a sacrifice of that. As a reminder that in order for you to be forgiven, death has to happen. Because God, just as he did in Exodus chapter 12, deals with sin through death. But you know from Hebrews chapter 10, that even that sacrificial system was meant to be a reminder of the fact that God is going to deal with sin decisively. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says, But those sacrifices are annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hence, Christ comes into the world. Those sacrifices that they were making year in and year out were meant to be a reminder that they are imperfect and that a sacrifice is needed that will deal with sin ultimately. But before that, annually they make sacrifices. Annually, they go to the temple and kill an animal that will die on their behalf. Annually, they did this as a temporary measure until Christ came to decisively deal with sin. Again, Paul says in verse 23, the second part of the answer, that the, the law was one to show us sin. The second part of the answer is that the law was given to us as a guardian until faith comes, until Christ comes. Which is 23. It says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was, was our guardian until Christ came that you might be justified by faith. The law was given to them as a, as a, as a, as a temporary guardian, as a placeholder. The law which included the sacrificial system, which included staying away from sin, was given as a placeholder until Christ had come. Christ comes and he, deal, he deals decisively with sin. That they no longer need to go and make sacrifices again and again by being himself the sacrifice. Christ comes and he becomes the means in which sins can be taken away. Christ comes. He becomes the, uh, our door, our access to God. Christ comes and he becomes a ladder between humanity and 
holiness. Christ comes. And through faith in him, you and I no longer need to make sacrifices for our sin. But with our trust and confidence in the work that he did at the cross, we can be united to God in faith. So therefore, when these people who are in, in, in Galatia are coming and saying that you need to go back to obeying the law, what they're doing is that they are minimizing what Christ did. They are looking at the law in the wrong way. They are missing Christ and going back to something that was meant to prepare people for Christ. They are not enjoying the benefits of God's sacrifice. That they are constraining themselves in these rules and regulations. Thinking that through them they can be declared just, they can be declared acceptable to God, welcome in God's presence. But that was not the intention of the law. The law was meant to be a pointer, a pointer to the fact that you need to be saved in the first place. That here's a standard that God had set up in order for you to be accepted before him. And you're saying that, sure, I cannot keep to this standard. And in desperation, you run to God and says, God, forgive me. I'm sinful. And I look forward to a time in which you will change my heart and cause me to not be sinful. The second part of the sign is that this law was meant to point forward was meant to point to a final sacrifice that God would make in the killing of his son so that you and I, who deserve to be killed for our sins, could be forgiven through him. And then last, in verses 25 to 29, we see that the... Uh, the law has ended. Guardianship is no longer needed. We can now be heirs and sons of God through faith in Christ. The law has ended, verse 25. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Remember, the law was the guardian. We are no longer under that guardian anymore because what the guardian was holding us for has now come. Verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God, not through obedience to the law, not through keeping the uh, mosaic laws perfectly, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized with Christ, have clothed yourself with righteousness. 
in such that there is no distinction between you now, between Jew, Gentile, slave, free. We are all one in Christ. Says so those who are, that have put their faith in God have now clothed themselves with Christ. The image that you are meant to have there is that God who is looking at sinful humanity, who is standing before him, uh, proclaiming to be the, his children, he looks at them and he sees Jesus. They have clothed themselves with Christ. They have enveloped themselves, literally, with Christ. That when God looks at you, looks at me, he sees the son that he loves. He sees the son that kept the law perfectly. He sees the son in whom he is well pleased. So therefore, these people who are saying to the Gentiles that you need to be circumcised in order to be, um, to be accepted before God, they are missing the point of faith in him. That their gentleness is no longer uncovered. It doesn't really matter anymore. Their genders, whether it be male or female, doesn't matter anymore. When God looks at his children, he sees them enveloped in Christ, clothed in Christ. If you belong to Christ, therefore, you are Abraham's seed as according to the promise that if you have faith in Christ, you are as Jew as any Jew. You are Abraham's seed. You are as of the promises of blessing. Why? Because you have trusted in the one that the promise was looking forward to. This is a big blow to the Judaizers, to those who are trying to Judify uh, believers in Galatia. It is a big blow because it is saying to them, in this new era, only Christ matters. In this time, it's not about the sacrificial system. It's not about the Old Testament. Christ matters. Faith in him matters. That you are accepted before God, not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done. So therefore, don't be fooled or led astray by these people. God intends for us to live by faith in Jesus. God accepts us because of our faith in Jesus. God will bless us because of our faith in Jesus. That means you and I, if we are to die, 
God only appeared before him. What God wants to know is whether you have trusted in my son, Jesus Christ. Not on whether you have kept the Old Testament laws perfectly or not. It's whether you have trusted in his son, Jesus Christ. You will see in the later part of this letter is that those who have trusted in the son live as the son lived, are shaped and changed by that reality. They put off sin and put on righteousness because they have been renewed, they have been given new life by the son. Their obedience does not earn them a place in God's sight, but rather those who already have a place in God's sight show that they have changed by their obedience. The big difference between those two things. And we need to get that right. Let's pray um, to God and ask uh, for help in doing that. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we praise you that in your word you are clear that we are accepted, loved, welcome before you, not because of anything that you have done, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died at the cross for us. Help us, Lord, to believe this. Help us to live as those who have been accepted, loved by you. Remove from us a heart that seeks to uh, work our way to your love, work our way to your affections. And give us hearts that, Christ, that trust in Christ alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.